sin fractured everything. And it left us shattered and broken. But no matter how distant or silent God may seem, He's still faithfully using broken people. to accomplish his flawless plans. Alright, if you got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, um, follow along on screen or in your outline or use a Central Church app. Again, if you don't have a Central Church app on your phone, I would encourage you to get one. Um, you can follow along with our outline, you could digitally fill in the outline there. Um, all kinds of information comes through the Central app throughout the week, so um, get that if you don't have it. But Esther chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. We're going to be all over the book of Esther. Um, we're going to start in Esther chapter 1. Starting a brand new series today um, called Shattered, and the tagline to this series is Fractured People, Flawless God. And I want to I want to set where we're going up today like this. We're going to be in this for um, probably the next three to four weeks, um, but in, in order to get where we're ultimately going to go at the end of the series, it's going to take us a while to build up, um, and, and the first message today is, is going to do that. Um, I want to start out by talking about puzzles. That's why the puzzles are up here. Some of you are like, why are there puzzles up there? Um, how many of you enjoy doing puzzles? Anybody enjoy puzzles? Um, I don't, but I did. I enjoyed puzzles when I was a kid. Like, because when I was a kid, like puzzles were like, like this. Like they were like six pieces and, um, they were all corner pieces. And so you could bring them out and you could just put them right back into the frame. This one's not even four pieces. One, two. Yeah, this one's four pieces. This is sweet. I could probably do this with my eyes closed. Maybe I have to peek a couple times. Um, but these were easy, right? I, I like this. You just pick it up. It's easy to figure out where it goes. You can teach your kid this. As you get older, puzzles get a little bit more difficult. You move into the 24-piece puzzle. And these, I'm sure, are like really big pieces inside of here still. 48-piece um, puzzle. This one, um, probably the same thing. Like 11-inch pieces. These are, yeah, so 11-inch pieces, those are pretty big pieces um, of puzzles. That can't be an 11-inch piece. That's got to be like the size of, oh, yeah, pure piece. All right, anyway, um, then you've got, you move up to the 100-piece puzzle. This one's glow in the dark. I don't know, would you, would you do the puzzle in the dark, or is it supposed to, you're supposed to look at it afterwards? I'm not sure. Um, but that gets a little bit more difficult, right? It's got more colors and different things. And then you roll up into the 250-piece or the 500-piece puzzle. Um, we don't have any of those here. Um, this, this is where stuff gets more complicated. This is a 1,000-piece puzzle. And everybody see this? Zoom in on this so everybody can see this. I don't even know what this is right here. I don't know. This puzzle right here would probably make you lose your salvation. Like seriously, if, if you could lose it. You can't, but if you could, it's like, uh, I don't know, a bunch of lines. It's, I think it's called the lines. I would do this and like beard hair would like fall on top of it or something. I would just go, this, this would drive, I would never do that puzzle. I don't know. That puzzle there, does anybody think they could do that puzzle? I should probably offer like if somebody could do that and like, how long would it take? Who raised their hand? How long would it take to do that puzzle? An hour to two weeks. Is that what it is? 
Uh, okay. I don't know. How about this one? How about 2,000 piece puzzle? Right? This piece, this puzzle right here, I'm gonna be flat out honest with you. This thing will probably take me four years to do. Like, like for real. And, and I would get frustrated and I would get out like nail guns or glue guns or whatever. I would start cutting pieces apart to make them fit. I was, anybody do that? You just like jam stuff in. I know it doesn't go there, Chloe. Leave me alone. Maybe that's just me. Um, but 2000 piece puzzle with like a gazillion colors like th- that right there. This, this would give me panic attacks. Then you've got this puzzle, the mega puzzle, the 3000 piece puzzle. Now, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? This puzzle, this puzzle is so difficult that inside of it, there's a poster to show you what it's supposed to look like. Cause you can't just look at the box. They give you a more blown up picture of what the puzzle is supposed to look like. That's how hard it is. There's hot air balloons on here. There's like a couple of birds. There's a bunch of people down at the bottom, but it's 3000 pieces to put this thing together. Now I know some of you are like, okay, What does puzzles have to do with Jesus and the Bible and church and the book of Esther and my Christianity? Hold on, Karen. I'm about to get there, all right? Because this is where I'm going. This, this picture is what most of us want, right? This is what we want life to look like. We want it, we want it to be this pretty picture. We want it to be clear. We want it to be all together. We want everything to be happy. We want to be looking up in the sky at God or, and just be like, oh, everything is great. This is what we want. But when it comes to life, this is how most of us feel, right? Like, this is how we feel. Like, this is, this is our life. This is, this is how most of us, when it, we, we want this, right? Every one of us wants this. But when it comes to life, it's, it's this. We're broken. And where do you start putting this together so that we can get this? And that's what we're going to talk about today and in this series. The next three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Esther. And if you're a Bible person, if you're a church person, you, you may have never heard the book of Esther taught the way that we're going to teach it, especially today. Um, I'm going to share some things with you that may bother you, um, but it's in the scripture and we always preach the whole Bible here at Central. So the book of Esther, let me kind of set it up like this. There's two main characters in the book of Esther. Um, obviously there's who? Esther, sweet, can't get nothing past anybody here. So it's Esther, she's the main character. Um, then there's then there's a guy named Mordecai. Now Mordecai is a good dude. Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Some people say it's her uncle. Um, if you if you read um, at the beginning, um, it's it's her cousin. So we're gonna go with cousin, his or older cousin. He was in the type of leadership position um, in in in. Um, yeah, he was in leadership, sorry, in Israel when when Israel got taken captive by Babylon. Now, when the Babylonians came into Israel, they didn't just destroy the city. They took everything. They took the people. They took people from Jerusalem captive, marched them across two deserts back to Babylon. And so at some point in her life, Esther's life fell apart. Esther's life became a pile of pieces. Her family Her family dynamic was gone. Her mom and dad had died. And so Mordecai, her cousin, takes her 
under his wing and protected her and watched over her. He became like a father figure to her as they went through this exile together. Now, most of us, we don't understand that. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be taken captive by a foreign nation. And, and really, neither can you. Because think about this. Taken. Taken. Like, just taken. Forcibly taken out of your home. Transplanted into another place. Forced to learn another language. Forced to learn another culture. Taken from where you are and put somewhere where you don't belong. I don't know exactly what that would feel like. But I would imagine that it would feel something like this. Would you agree, yes or no? Yeah, it would feel like that. I'll bet you Esther and Mordecai probably at some point thought, if there is a God, how could he let our lives fall into pieces? How could he let us get like this? If there really is a God, God, if you really exist, why do I live like this? But what they didn't know was at this point in the story, it was going to get way worse for them than it got before it got better. Right. And so let me show you what I mean. Esther chapter 1 um, starts off with a party. And when I say party, uh, we've all been to some parties, yes or no? You, you, come on, it's central, I know, right? You, you, you've been to some, some of you last night, that's why we have an 11 o'clock service. Um, <laughs> most of us, most of us have been to a party or two. Um, but this party in Esther chapter 1, this was not just a social gathering. This was a party. Like this was crazy. I'm talking where like your, your friend is cutting down your neighbor's tree with his brand new chainsaw. Like this crazy. People speaking cursive, running around lampshades on their head. You know what I'm talking about? This party was so wild. Listen to me. This party was so wild. It lasted 180 days. Now, I don't care how much you have partied in your life. None of you have ever partied like that. None of you have ever partied for 180 days. You know how I know? Because you ain't dead. This went on for a, seriously, you party for 180 days, you would be dead. I know somebody's be like, well, I went to college. No, 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 no. They throw in parent days at college to break up the parties. So you can't party for 180 straight days. This was 180 days. Now, the last seven days of the party, the king decides to crank it up a notch. And it gets even more crazy. Watch what he does. On the seventh day of the feast, so this is the last day of the 180-day party. Everything's crazy, everything's nuts. On the seventh day of the feast, Xerxes, he's the king, Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine. That's the biblical way of saying dude was wasted. All right, that's that's what's happening there. So watch this. He told seven eunuchs who attended him, then he names them. I'll give you a second to read through them. He told seven eunuchs who attended him to bring before him Queen Vashti with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. Now, I'm going to say something that's um, maybe a little controversial. Um, some of you won't agree. Some of you will think it's mean. Some of you are going to say Ryan's being insensitive. Um, but I promise you. I'm, I'm, I'm just only speaking the truth. I always just speak the truth here. Okay? So, here it is. Listen, don't, don't, don't miss this. I don't understand women. I don't. And don't judge me, because you don't either. Women, you don't even understand you sometimes. Right? Like we ask you questions. Why are you crying? I, 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 I what? 
even know you don't even understand you there's stuff about you women that we men don't understand like men don't understand why you have to take three suitcases with you when you're going on a one-week vacation we don't understand why there need to be 47 pillows on the bed half of which we could never even touch if we wanted to why are there 391 different soap and shampoo products in the shower we don't understand stuff like that some stuff we don't understand I can tell you, it's a little tense here. Don't worry, it's going to get way worse. We don't understand. But I do think that I understand vastly in this situation. Because Bible scholars, most of them agree that when King Xerxes is asking Vashti to be brought in front of all the nobles and everything, where it says, with the royal crown on her head, that's it. That's all she is going to be wearing. The crown and nothing else. Buck naked with a crown. So the king is hammered and he wants his wife to be wearing just a crown and walk naked in front of everybody and be completely humiliated. And Vasti says no. The Bible says she was a very beautiful woman, but when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vasti, she refused to come. And I say good for her. Good for her, right? However, This made the king furious, and he burned with anger. Burned with anger. Burned with anger because his wife said no to humiliation. By the way, you, you can read all through this. I'll give you a quick summary of what's going on here. The king had some advisors after this happened come to him, and they're like, this is a problem. It's a problem, king. Because what's going to happen now is the entire nation is going to hear that your wife didn't do what you told her to do. And so women all over the nation are going to begin disobeying their husbands. And it's going to get absolutely crazy. And so what we're going to need you to do, king, is we're going to need you to pass a law so women will respect their husbands. Because we all know passing a law (laughs) solves everything, right? It's like, oh, people are racist? We'll just pass a law saying you can't be racist anymore and people won't be racist. I would argue we're more racist than we've ever been. Um, Probably another message for another time. But just think about that. Can you really pass a law? Can you pass a law for women to obey their husbands? Can, Can you pass that law? And women go, oh, you know... It's against the law. I guess I'm probably just going to need to do everything he says. No! That law is not going to work. But they thought it was going to work. In fact, it goes on. In chapter 1, verse 19 says, If it pleases the king. This is the advisors talking to him. If it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree. Everybody say written decree. Written decree. Don't miss that because this is huge. This is going to be, it's going to come into play. It's going to be important today. Um, and next week and the week after that, the written decree. It's put right here in chapter one as kind of a nugget of information. Um, we're going to mention it today. We're really going to get into it next week, but it's essential that we understand a written decree. A written decree is a law. It's a law issued by the king. And he's like the president, the Supreme Court, and Congress all rolled up into one, right? There's there's no turning back after the king issued a law. So if it pleases the king, we suggest you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot, cannot ever be revoked. See, in this time period, once a law was given, it couldn't be turned over. It couldn't be revoked. That's, that's huge, huge, huge. It's going to come into play later. It should order 
that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes. Ladies, is she mad about that? No. Oh my gosh, no, please, don't banish me so you can't humiliate me anymore. That's probably how I see it. Anyway, and then the king should choose another queen more worthy than thee. And, and watch this, watch this, watch this. This is, this is how men think when we get together sometimes. This is why we need women around us to make us not stupid sometimes. Um, verse 20. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper, proper respect from their wives. You, you think that law worked? No way. Uh-uh. But it was the law. It was the law. And so that's how chapter one, it, it, it starts party, right? Party. Vashti, come in with just a crown on. No he banishes her from his presence, and then he issues a law saying that men, women must respect their husbands. And then we get into chapter 2. And chapter 2 starts out like this. But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking. Hold up. Have you ever noticed when you get angry, you don't think? Have you ever noticed that? I don't know about you, but when I get angry, um, I lose the ability to have rational thought. Like, I introduced him to you last week, but my puppy, Titus, he can make somebody so happy in the moment. Like, he's bringing you your shoe. And you're like, cool, man. This dude has a job. And you're like, good good boy. And then you realize that he has chewed your shoe up. And when I'm angry, I talk to him like he's a literal human being. Anybody else do that to their dog? Like anyone else? Like getting angry makes us dumber. Like nobody, true or false, nobody has ever made a great decision when they're angry. True, right? Nobody's ever made a great decision when they're angry. So he had become angry. He banishes the king. And now he's calming down. And he's like, you know, maybe I, maybe I overreacted just a little bit. He began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. Verse 2. So his personal attendant suggested. Now this is where it gets crazy. Absolutely crazy. This is where it's going to get uncomfortable. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Now, if, if you're the king, this is a good deal. Like, oh, I, I, come on, guys, give me a little bit more information. I, I like the way you're thinking right here. Tell me a little bit more. Verse 3, let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem. Now, you can search biblical history, you can search secular history, and you're going to find the same thing. What does a harem do for the king? They have sex with him. Everybody got that? They, they have sex. That's, that's what they do. The king had a harem of women so he could have sex with them. That was their purpose. So this is a great deal for the king. But can you imagine the women who were pulled into this? Probably felt like their life was like this. That their life's just in pieces. See, when one person benefits and the majority of people suffer, that's not a win. It's not. It is not a win when one person benefits and the majority of the people suffer. And by the way, that's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Amen? Anyway, here we go. The royal harem of the fortress of Susha, Haggai, the king's eunuch, in charge of the harem, because you want a eunuch in charge of the harem for obvious reasons. Another message for another time. Some of you get down on the way home. Um, 
we'll see that they are all given beauty treatments. So, so what's going to happen is like, hey, king, we're going to take really, really hot girls, king, and we're going to send them to glamour shots and make them even hotter. Like this is great for the king, but for nobody else. After that, the young woman who pleases the king, pleases the king, pleases the king. Now, if you're in a harem, just a really quick question. How is it that you please the king? You're not, yeah, sex. You're not cooking for him. You're not cleaning the palace. You're having sex with him. These ladies essentially are sex slaves. This is not a good place to be. This is not a good job. This isn't anybody's dream position. Who pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king. That's an understatement. Very appealing to the king. So he put the plan into effect. So all of these women are being rounded up. They're being brought in. And they're going to be sex slaves for the king. And, and, and this is where it gets crazy. This is where, this is where most preachers, when they get to this, because it's uncomfortable to say what's really happening. They, they say... Oh, this was like a beauty contest. This was not a beauty contest. This was a harem. Watch this. It's crazy. Verse 8. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Esther felt like this? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, if you're Esther, this is your what the heck moment with God. It really is. What the heck, God? Because I was living in Jerusalem and things were going well. And here comes the Babylonian army. And God, I didn't complain when they came and took us captive. I didn't complain when they marched us across two deserts. I didn't complain when they changed the language. I didn't complain when they made me learn all the new culture and everything. But now, all of a sudden, the king has some urges and he's self-centered and he's self-focused. And I'm supposed to have sex with this man? And if he likes me the most, I get to be queen? I mean, come on, God. I feel like my life is in pieces. How do you, how do you get this? To this. Like God, how do we get here? How do I turn this into this? Because God, I want to know. I don't even know where to start. But God, I want this to become this. This is what my life is supposed to be. I've been through times like that. Anybody else? Anyone? I mean, where you lose everything. Where your whole life falls apart. And you feel like you have it all together. But then all of a sudden you find yourself holding the pieces. And you're going through the pieces. And you're looking in the pieces. And you're trying to find anything. Anything at all that will help you. And you're like, oh, here's a side piece. I've got one piece. I know where to start. Look, this is a great place to start. Yeah, I know there's 2,999 other places to go. But 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 God, I, I've got this. How? How do you turn this into this. I know some of you feel the exact same way. What you've gone through or what you're going through. Like it's, it's not as graphic as Esther's pain, but there's some people really wrestling with some stuff. And, and, and you're wrestling with stuff and you're looking at God going, God, why? God, what the heck? How could you let this happen to me? Like God, seriously, I became a Christian and I thought I was signing up for this? But this is what I have. So God, how can you make this work? Well, there's some good news. If there's any good news that can come out of this, here's the good news. Chapter 2, verse 17. The king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. So, so Esther won the contest. All right? But don't miss this. In order to win the contest, right? she had to have sex with the king. We, we don't teach that because it's scandalous. Isn't it funny? 
how God will use scandalous, scandalous people who have gone through shameful events. Because don't forget this. I'm sure at the time there were self-righteous people that would have condemned her. But let's not forget, this woman has a book of the Bible named after her. God, don't miss this. God often takes scandalous shame, messed up people, and always uses them for his glory. Because that's who he can get the most glory from. God takes scandalous, shamed, messed up, jacked up, messy people, and uses them for his glory. Because that's who he can get the most glory from. I'm just teaching you the Bible. Right, that's the Bible. Look at this. So he was delighted with her, that he, he was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Verse 18, to celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor, which I'm sure she's tense the whole entire time because she remembered what happened to Vashti. She's probably like, don't, don't do the crown thing. Please don't do the crown thing. Please don't do the crown thing. But he had learned, maybe he had learned his lesson. So he set a banquet in Esther's honor for all the nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving of generous gifts to everyone. And we would expect the Bible right here to say, and they lived happily ever after, right? No. All of this is just a prelude. This is essentially like God taking like this corner piece. He's taking this piece and getting ready to put things back together and put it back together in such a way that's so powerful, so amazing. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. By the way, the book of Esther, just a little Bible trivia here. The book of Esther is the only book in the entire Bible where the name of God is never mentioned. Like not even once. But you can see the hand of God all over the story. And you can see God picking up the pieces and piece by piece putting things back together. Let's go on to chapter 3. Esther's cousin, what was his name? Anybody remember? Mordecai. All right. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamadathatha, which, listen, if you're looking for a baby name, I know everybody looks for a baby name that nobody else has, right? Like, that's what you want. I want my, I want my kid to have a name nobody else has. That's it right there. I promise you nobody has that name. Hamadathatha, the Agai, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. So Haman, this kind of set this up. Haman is an evil person. We're, we're about to see this. If you want, you, you go read Esther 1, 2, 3, and 4 today. It'll probably take about 20 minutes to kind of get this in context. Um, but Haman is an evil person. He is a bad dude. This is the first time we see him in the story. He's messed up. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had an attitude of, I ain't doing that. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm just not doing that. Like, that thing right there, if somebody wants me to do, I'm not doing that. That's the attitude Mordecai had. Now, let me explain what's going on and why he's doing this. Mordecai had a Jewish background. In the Torah... The law that Mordecai followed is specifically banned or banished worship of someone or anything else other than the one true God. We know this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That This is it. And so Mordecai was like, I'm not bowing down to anybody. He's not trying to be a social nuisance. He's just like, I'm not going to bow down to a man. I am not going to bow down to a man in worship. I'm going to stay true to what the one true God has put inside of me. That's my conviction. And so I'm not bowing down to Haman. Well, that ticked Haman off. Haman got ticked 
off about this whole thing. And he went home and he told his family, listen, I'm the king's right hand man. I've got all of this stuff. I've got all of these things. I'm doing all of this great things for the king. And and I've got this and I've got this and, and I've got this. But this guy, Mordecai, he won't bow down to me. Are you kidding? I'm going to take care of him. Isn't it it funny? Isn't it funny that we often do the same thing? That we'll lose sight of all the incredible things we have or because of the one thing that we don't have. Like like we can get 99 positive comments on that Facebook post and we get one negative comment and we lose our freaking mind. Listen, this is probably another message for another time, but we've got way more to be thankful for than we could ever possibly imagine. But sometimes it feels like we can't be thankful because in the moment we feel like this. And that attitude, that'll destroy you. Because Haman, Haman goes to the king and he says, King, I got an idea. I could kill Mordecai or I could kill his people. He, He knew Mordecai was Jewish. And so he said, instead of just killing one person, let's kill all the Jews. Now, a couple couple things to keep in mind here. Number one, Esther was Jewish, but Esther had not told the king she was Jewish because Mordecai told her, keep your nationality a secret. So Haman goes to the king and says, listen, king, there's some people in your kingdom. They are a nuisance. They're bad. And I think we need to kill them. And so you need to put, uh, you need to put a law. You need to write a decree. And so here's a piece of paper. Sign this piece of paper that says we're going to kill all the people. And, 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 and more, and, and, um, Xerxes, the king trusted Haman so much. He's like, cool. I'll sign it. And so he signed the decree. He signed the law that all the Jewish people were to be killed. And this is like April of that year, that following March. So 11 months later, an 11 months time period, all of the Jewish people, men, women, and children were to be killed. Now, if you're a Jewish person in that time period, this is how you feel, right? This is what you feel. Is it not? Isn't it? This is God. What the heck? God, how does this become this? Right? Mordecai finds out and the Bible says he got really upset and he tore his clothes and he's crying as I would be, as you would be. And then he had this thought. He thought, you know what? I know somebody that knows the king. Esther, my girl. I got somebody on the inside. All I got to do is bust off a call to Esther. This would be like knowing somebody that works at, say, Borden arrows. And you want a steak, but you can't get a steak because it's Sunday and they're closed. And so you make a call. Hey, Tommy, did you hook a brother up? Like, I know somebody, right? Like, that's, that's what it is. I know somebody. Mordecai is like, I know somebody. I got this. This is good. All Esther's got to do is go talk to the king. That's her husband. And the king will be like, oh my gosh, this was a bad idea. Nobody's killing anybody. Everybody's going to be safe. Everybody's going to get a big group hug. We're all going to be okay. But that's not what happened. Because Mordecai let Esther know, Esther, you got to step in. You got to step up. Esther, you got to help out. And this is Esther's reply, chapter 4, verse 10. Then Esther told Hatchik, that this is Mordecai's boy, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials, even the people in the provinces, know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die. In other words, the king enjoys his quiet time. 
Like King likes to be alone. Like, like he's not going to yell at you if you mess him up, like you mess with him. He's not going to throw something at you. Like he's just going to kill you if you interrupt him. Doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. In other words, because the king's got his harem, right? I mean, it's not like he's gone without for 30 days. He's got a harem and he's taken care of. He's just not interested in me. And so essentially, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. Essentially, Esther right here is telling Mordecai, no. Now, it's real easy for us to judge Esther for this. Esther, how could you be so selfish? Esther, how could you be so self-centered? How could you say no to an opportunity like this? But not, let's not forget what Esther has gone through. How easy is it to judge someone when you don't know their story? How easy is it to speak down on somebody when you don't know the hell they've gone through? When you don't know the price they've paid? When you don't know the tears they've cried? You don't know the time that they've spent staying up at night wondering if God loved them, if other people loved them. We step into judgment way too early when we don't know their whole story. When instead of judging someone, we should stop and say, you know what? I can't say a word because I don't know their story. But see, it gets real easy for us to judge Esther right here. Esther, what are you doing? What's going on, girl? Save your people. But after what she had gone through, think about this. After what she had gone through, being pulled off the street, essentially sold into sex slavery, and here are all of her pieces, but she's got this one. And her life at least has started to seemingly come back together because at least she's queen Right? I mean, some bad stuff has happened, but at least she's being provided for. And now, Mordecai, you, you want me to go talk to the king and he hasn't called for me in 30 days? And if I go in, he could have me killed? Mordecai, I hear what you're saying. But the answer is no. Esther, at this point, was choosing comfort over stepping into a season where it took courage. And, and let's not judge her because we've done the same thing. Seriously, how many times have we chosen the comfortable thing rather than the thing that required courage. For example, it's comfortable to hide the addiction. It takes courage to admit you have an addiction. It's comfortable to hide the anxiety. It takes courage to admit that you're wrestling with anxiety. It's comfortable to admit that the relationship is okay. It takes courage to admit that you need some help. And the comfortable are always those who can bet on things falling apart. But when you have the courage... It's like finding that corner piece and things start to come together one piece at a time. This is what she told Mordecai and I love what Mordecai says back to her, verse 12. So Hatchet gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther, don't think for a moment because you're in the palace, you'll escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet, At a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. In other words, God's gonna come through for his people. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps, perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. This is mind-blowing because Mordecai leans into Esther and says, Esther, I understand that you're uncomfortable. But God's going to deliver the Jews. God's going to take care of his people. But maybe, Esther, maybe, maybe, Esther, maybe, out of all of these pieces, something priceless is going to happen Maybe, Esther, maybe everything that you have gone through, maybe 
every, it's for such a time as he acknowledges her pain, the hurt, the confusion, the what the heck moments that she probably had. Esther, I can't do anything to take away the pain, but maybe the reason you've gone through all you've gone through is for such a time as this. You're in the palace in a position to be positioned to do what nobody else can do. And what you thought were pieces was actually God's promises that he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, no matter how many what-the-heck moments you have gone through. I've gone through some tough times. I've gone through some trying times, and so have you. But I can look back, and I can see the pieces, and I can see how God has used all of that pain for purpose. Because now I'm able to identify. Like if somebody talks to me and says, you know what? My life is in pieces. My life is falling apart. I struggle with this. I'm, I'm able to identify with certain situations because I've walked through the same fire. Listen, at the end of the day, some things I've personally gone through, they weren't awesome. But I can see how God was using it. Just like in this story. I can see how God's using Esther's life. And, and you know, I'll bet he's using yours. Even if you feel like it's in pieces. God doesn't waste pain. Your pain will not be wasted on anything. Yes, it hurts. The Christian, the, the Christians that step in and try to tell you, you need to celebrate in the middle of pain. Stop it. Knock it off. Quit saying that. You need to learn how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so if somebody's in pain, just acknowledge that they're in pain because God's going to use all of it. God's going to put the pieces back together. He does. I don't know how he does it. Somehow he, he just does it. Somehow he puts all of this back together. He makes this, this. And so when Esther got this, when she's right here, like this is, this is one of the most moving parts in the entire Bible. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susha and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. Esther chose to do the right thing over the easy thing. The easy thing would have been to stay quiet. Got my nice little life. It's all in pieces, but I got this one piece. And I'm, I'm just going to hold on to this one piece. H how ridiculous is it to hold on to this one piece when there's 2,999 other pieces that need to fall into place? But isn't that what we do? I'm just going to hold on to my one little piece, God, right here. I'm just going to hold on to this. Oh, God, thank you so much for this one little piece. Just guide this. Just bless this. Just make this holy and anointed. How ridiculous is this when it could be this? Seriously, how ridiculous is it that we hold on to this when it could be this? That's when Esther finally said, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go in. I'm going to see the king. Now, for us today, here's how I want to end this. And by the way, I was ending this thing right where we're going to pick up next week, right? For those of you that don't know the whole story, you might want to go home and read the entire story of the book of Esther. Um, reading, reading the Bible is never a bad thing, so, so go read it. Um, but this, this message, this whole thing, um, brought me to this point. This is the walkaway point that I want you to have today. Um, and this is a, this is something I heard Andy Stanley say years ago. I don't care what you think of Andy Stanley. That, that opinion is, is for you. I heard him say this years ago. Um, and it became a prayer that, that I like to pray all the time. And, and it's this. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right. And the courage to do what is right. Even when it's hard. Lord, give me the wisdom to know what is right. And the courage to do what is right. Even 
when it's hard. And I'm hoping today that you can begin to pray, God, during this season of my life, when I feel like things are in pieces, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what is right, even when it's hard. God, give me the wisdom. God, give me the courage. God, give me the wisdom. God, give me the courage. God, give me the wisdom. The Bible says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God gives exceedingly more. Right? Give me the wisdom. Give me the courage. Give me the wisdom and the courage to believe that you'll take these pieces and you'll turn them into promises that are immeasurably more than all I could ever ask or imagine. God, help me put the pieces back together.